Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to see you this morning. I hope, uh, as Pastor uh, Glenn, I think it was saying that, I hope you've come this morning with a sense of anticipation that God might just speak to you today as we uh, open up his word. And uh, I want to reiterate, of course, if you are here for the first time, uh, we're delighted to have you. Uh, absolutely love having guests in our home. And of course, we, we're always delighted when the regular family get together. want to give a shout out as well to those who are joining us online this morning. Well, four weeks ago, we began this uh, experience, New Through 30. And for those who maybe are just joining us or haven't been around for a few weeks, we, we've challenged ourselves to read through the New Testament in 30 days. Yes, it is daunting sometimes when, when you think about that. And, and I realize as some of you, are, you're working through it and your lives and schedules are really busy. And so you've taken the New Through 40 path or new through 60, or new through 100, whatever. Just keep pressing on, keep going at it. You'll be so uh, glad that you finished through uh, the reading of the New Testament. I thought it would be exciting if we had uh, uh, the next generation come and, and quote the books of the New Testament. I mean, some of us are just learning it now, and, but down in our, even in our treehouse ministry, uh, kids are learning you know, books of the Bible, and so uh, I've asked Zach, come on up here, Zach. This is Zach Fields, come on up here. He's a handsome looking guy. He's from our treehouse ministry, and uh, I asked him if he would be willing just to quote the New Testament books to the whole congregation. Now, the whole world's watching online. Don't don't. That, don't be nervous over that. You know, I said to Zach th this morning, I said, Zach, you know, you're a handsome man. Uh, is there anything you want me to help you with before you quote the books in the New Testament? Perhaps, you know, are you, are you looking for a girlfriend? He goes, oh, no, I, I already have one. And uh, I, I said, oh. He said, yeah, I made it official on Valentine's. I said, okay, that's great. Very confident. I love that. Very confident. He also told me he's inspiring. I love this. I'm inspiring my six-year-old brother to learn the books of the New Testament. And that's what we want to see, isn't it? We love when an older uh, can mentor younger. And uh, so I'm going to turn over to you, Zach. Would you quote the books of the New Testament for us? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, June, Revelation. Woo! Good job, buddy. Thank you, man. That is awesome. That is absolutely awesome. Don't you love that, though? I love seeing, uh, we, we talk about that all the time, about reaching a new generation. And so when you see a new generation coming up behind us who are learning the things of the Lord, it just uh, inspires me, and I hope it inspires you as well. Yes, make your way to Treehouse. We'll see you next service. Okay. I, I don't know about you, but I have been challenged uh, this week uh, in my, my reading, and um, uh, for some of you, you have said to me, you know, there, as I've been reading, I, 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 there are certain verses that I've memorized, and, but I didn't know the verses that came before it or the verses that came after it. So as I've been reading through, it's been interesting, they said, to just to read the context uh, of those verses. And uh, I love hearing what people are saying about what they're um, learning and, and maybe the challenges that they're having as they're reading through. I, I might have mentioned this last week. I, I had a person just say, you know, I, as I'm reading through the books of um, the, the ones that Paul 
Paul wrote, I, I struggle a little bit because I, I feel like maybe um, Paul has something against women because he tells them about be quiet and these things like that. So that was an interesting observation as they're reading through that. What does that mean when Paul was talking that way? Some have said to me, you know, um, when I'm reading through this, sometimes I feel like Jesus is maybe... Uh, a little rude at times to people, you know, as you're reading through that. And, and, and other people have said, um, <clears throat> one of the things that I, I find hard, when I read a Bible verse that says, honor your father and mother, when I grew up in such a difficult family life, when I, you know, I had a mom who, who really wasn't a good mom. And so when I read a verse like that, sometimes it's hard to, to work through and to wrestle with. And, uh, and some people say, have told me, when I read through uh, any verses that deal with forgiveness, uh, I, I have a hard time with that because, you know, I've been hurt so deeply. And so when I read a verse about forgiveness, that it can be challenging uh, for sure to, to forgive others. You know, I, I've heard some people say to me, you know, I find it interesting. I can pick up a John Grisham book and, and, and just read through it and not be able to put it down because it's so, so um, inviting and engaging. But yeah, sometimes I find a hard time to pick up my Bible and, and to be able to read it. Can anybody relate to that, by the way? <laughs> Um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I've been very thankful for these grace days to get caught up. I don't know if you find that. like It's been challenging to keep it all going. And I realize that some, you know, many of you have some really busy lives. You know, some of your families are trying to balance two careers, and, and you have kids, and you're running you know, hockey and soccer and dance recitals, and, and just trying to juggle all to find some time to read it has been a challenge for you. And uh, you know, maybe you're retired, and, and sometimes we think all oh, retired people they have all kinds of time. But yet, you know, they're volunteering, they have grandchildren that they're looking after, and so life just gets busy. Uh, so, but I, I still want to encourage you to, to keep pressing on reading through the entire New Testament. Um, when this experience is over, of reading through the New Testament 30 days, or 40 days, or 50 days, uh, when you go back to reading two or three or four verses a day, it's going to feel like child's play after all the reading that we've done uh, recently. Well, this week we were to read the book, uh, if you're following that schedule that we have, it's the book of Luke and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Hebrews and Philemon and 1 Peter and 2 Peter uh, and Timothy, 1 Timothy and Titus. Ten books this week we read. Now, I know some of you said, I've never read ten books in my entire life. And uh, here we are, ten books of the New Testament. And, and this week I was actually struck by the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, a, a small little book, only four little chapters, but boy, it, it's packed with a lot. And, and the book of Colossians is written by the Apostle Paul while he was incarcerated. Uh, he was in prison, actually, uh, when he wrote this book. In fact, there are four letters or four books in the, of the New Testament that were all written while he was in prison. Very interesting that Paul's in prison for his faith, and years before that, he was actually putting people into prison for their faith. And so things have kind of been reversed here. And so in the New Testament, you may not know this, but there's four books of the Bible that often referred to as the prison epistles. Uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, all written why Paul was in prison. And, and Paul was waiting for his time to, to meet with Nero. Uh, he was the seizure at the time. And because he was a Roman soldier, he was appealing to the highest court. It'd be sort of like us when we try to appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada. That's the highest. And, and so Paul has been waiting for his time to meet uh, with Nero uh, to give his defense uh, while he's there. 
Rome did not comprehend, by the way, the significance of the writings of this unknown prisoner. Uh, If Rome had, I think men would have been apprehended and the documents would have been seized. And, And Paul is writing this book somewhere between 60 and 62 AD. And, and, and for us to fully understand, which we're going to look at in the book of Colossians, but to, to be able to fully understand uh, what's going on here in Colossians, I think it's good to have a good understanding of what's happening actually in the Roman Empire at the time. Uh, at its pinnacle, at the pinnacle of Roman Empire, it is 6,700 uh, kilometers long, uh, all the way from England down to India. I mean, it was a massive uh, empire. And, and that empire lasted for 1,500 years. I mean, Canada, I think this year is going to be, what, like 153 years old? And, and the Roman Empire was 1,500 years. And because of its longevity, it has impacted, actually, the modern world in which we are living in. And, and it's impacted us three ways, the Roman uh, has. And the first one is Roman roads. The first Roman road was built in 312 BC. By the second century, just within a couple hundred years, there were 50,000 miles of roads that had been built, and all roads led to Rome. And and one of the things about these roads is that it kind of eased commerce and and trade. It made it easy. In fact, really what it did is it shrank the world. The world became much smaller because of these Roman roads. And um, it created a world in which culture and food and religion and languages and ethnicity all began to boil together and we begin to see the first forms of synchronism occurring in the world. Uh, Basically what's happening is things have become now a melting pot and multiple cultures are beginning to collide and and a new thing is beginning. And the Romans had a, a massive influence on this whole uh, melting pot. And, and one of the things about these, these roads that made it easy for people to travel, before that point, only the courageous or only the very wealthy would actually go very far. And as I said, it kind of made the world smaller, much like the internet has done for us. It's kind of shrunk of the world. I mean, you can Google just about anything you want and within minutes have pictures of it. And so what the internet has done for us, the Roman roads have done for this particular culture. They create an unreal amount of access to other cultures and to other ideas, to other temples and to other architecture, to other new kinds of food. It just shrank the world. And the second thing that Rome brought this empire is uh, they call it Pax Romana, which is like Roman peace. Now, I think it's interesting because when we think of that period of time, we think it was a very violent time. And if you were an enemy of Rome, yes, it was violent. Or if you served in the army, it was violent. Or if you were on the outskirts of the empire, yes, it was violent. But for the most part, for 1,500 years, Rome lived at peace. If you lived within the walls of the empire, it was a very peaceful time. A very little skirmishes would happen during the, the Roman Empire. Um, one little one uh, after Nero died, about uh, four empire, uh, emperors tried to take control. But other than that, it, it seemed to be a very peaceful time. Uh, it's also uh, was extremely, as I said, peaceful for 1,500 years. And as long as people felt like they were heard and cared for and justice would take place, they wouldn't rebel. Um, 
jo- um, Rome did a fascinating job as well <clears throat> with Roman laws, which actually we're, we're still working through that. They had a really good way of bringing codes around. And, and so, as I said, people wouldn't rise up because they felt like there was justice being served. And uh, as long as they would be heard and cared for, people were glad to be living uh, under Roman rule. Uh, Rome would never have a hate law crime. Like hate law, you know, one of those hate crimes where, you know, sometimes you judge the intent of people's heart as to why they did that. No, Rome wouldn't have that. You know, you have to have eyewitnesses. If you have an eyewitness, then we can go ahead and proceed. Uh, we can put uh, judgment into action. The world had never seen anything like that before because for such a long time, before the Roman Empire actually, it was a dark and violent and hostile, horrible place. But Rome was able to bring some light into the world. And here's the problem. What's happening in, in Colossians in, um, to the people, the Christians in, in Colossae. Paul is going to challenge them not to put your hope in Rome because things are so good right now. I mean, we're enjoying peace. We have prosperity. We have laws. We're looked after. We're being cared for. And so uh, people were beginning to put a a lot of confidence in what they had. It's sort of like us as Canadians. I mean, we're so blessed. We have so much. It's easy for us to put our confidence in just where we live and who we are. And so Paul's going to talk to the, the Christians here and say, Rome is not your hope. Your hope is not in the Roman Empire. It's not what Rome can bring to you. And he's going to address this whole area of synchronism. As I said, synchronism is basically a boiling pot of humanity that is occurring. The world uh, looks very much like ours does today, where multiple cultures come together and we begin to... uh, uh, blend together, and sometimes something new comes out of that. And the Colossians were saying, in this period of time, yes, Jesus is the main main man, this is the guy, but I have this new neighbor, he's a Jewish guy, and he's a little bit of a Jewish mystic, and, but he's a real prayer guy, you know, and so he prays more than I do, and so, yes, Jesus, plus, you know, maybe a little bit of that, a little of that mystic stuff. And, and in fact, my other neighbor, uh, he's a really cool guy, and he's such a family guy, and uh, he does these, you know, kind of crazy things with animal sacrifices and all that. So, um, yes, Jesus, yep, yep, yeah, he's the main guy, but I think I'll, I'll, I'll take a little bit of this, too. And so the challenge is what's happening here in the book of Colossians, for the Christians in, in Colossae, uh, is that they're, they're adding, oh, yeah, 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 I know, I know Jesus is the main guy. But they're beginning to create something different, something new, by adding uh, all these extra things. Uh, uh, Even though Paul is going to try to argue, Jesus plus nothing is everything. And that's the argument he's going to come to present in the book of Colossians. And really, we have a a kind of an interesting perspective because we can look back 2,000 years and see whether Paul's a liar or not. Let's see, is Rome really the light? Maybe Paul was just full of himself. Or is Jesus the light? I mean, who won? Rome or Christ? You know, Rome exhibited the power, uh, its power by crucifying people to show their might. Christ exhibited his power by being crucified. 
and taking on the sins of the world. They both use crosses to wield power. And to this day, there's only one that remains strong and vibrant part of reality and one that we just study in history. Here's another thing about the trivia book uh, Colossians is that Paul has never met these people before. Never met these men and women that are in Colossae. They were converts of the ministry of Epaphras and Epaphras was a convert of the Apostle Paul in, in Ephesus. And so Paul's preaching in Ephesus and Epaphras gets saved. His eyes are open to who Jesus Christ is and, and he wants to go back to his hometown that he loves, Colossae. And he goes back and he preaches the gospel and a church is planted uh, from Epaphras. And so Paul is in prison right now and he's writing these letters and in this letter he says, I, I desperately want to meet you. I want to come one day and meet you folks. And, uh, and I love what it says in, in Colossians 1, 4. He says, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, they had never met, but since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love for all the saints, whew, we just want to come meet you because it's getting spread all over, your faith and your love for the saints. And as I read that, I, I, I couldn't help but realize that really, the love of Jesus and the love for people are, for the church, it, it's inseparable. You, you don't have one without the other. In fact, uh, I think it was Augustine who said this, no man can have God as his father who does not have the church as his mother. In, in other words, you, you can't say I love God but I hate the church. Oh, I'm so in love with Jesus but I can't stand my brothers and sisters. No, see, the Bible says that actually you'd be a liar then because you can't have that. And I think that's what's so interesting as you're reading through the book of Colossians that, that Paul really emphasizes that, man, your reputation is being spread all over the place, your, your, your faith in Christ and your love towards one another. It's second to none. Their faith has become so evident and their love for one another has become so evident. Now, if you've been around here uh, very long, you would know, I love history. I don't know what it is, but something gets birth inside of me uh, and it gets me all excited. Uh, I can remember as a young child, <laughs> I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with my grandparents and great-grandparents and, and my great-grandma, which we always called Two Nana, because I had a Nana, so she was Two Nana. And uh, I spent a lot of time in the summers with her. And uh, as a kid, I'd go down. I was like one of those strange kids. You know, you go down and you would just say, Nana, can you tell me some stories from days gone by? And, and she was born in 1899. And so she had a lot of stories. You know, I, I remember when she talked about the first time she saw a car or the first time electricity came into the house or in, you know, indoor plumbing. In fact, she told me, you know, your grandpa and I had a big argument about having indoor plumbing. I did not want indoor plumbing. And he did. She says, I couldn't get it in my mind. Why would anyone want to bring the outhouse into the house? It just didn't make sense to her. I love hearing stories like that. Remember when she talked about when the telephone came to the house? There, there was a picture at the house there, black and white photo of this 68-foot whale that beached like about 20 feet from their house. And I remember just hearing the stories about that and, and her talking about when her son went off to war. And when they lost their little 10-pound, 10 10-ounce 10 baby that was born, 
And there's something about that that I, I would just love to hear about days gone by. I don't know if some of you remember um, bell bottoms and platform shoes. I was one cool cat back then. Um, I had a leisure suit. Do you know what a leisure suit is? Platforms, bell bottoms, and a leisure suit. Man, I couldn't wait to get the church to show that stuff. And some of you, of course, would remember when hamburgers are 25 cents. And, you know, some of you that have been married 30, 40 years, you look back, you can remember what the weather was like and, and what, how special that day was. You know, maybe, do you, do you remember when Elvis Presley died? Do you remember where you were? Or, or when the space shuttle blew up? Or, or do you remember, uh, here's a story of a lovely lady. Do you know that? Remember that? Or Sunday, Monday. You know, how's that go? Sunday, Monday. Happy days, Tuesday, Wednesday, happy days. Remember those things? Do you remember when, some of you remember when the church was down on the corner of Telford and Harkness and uh, they were good days. And some of you think, oh, those are the glory days. Those are the good old days. You know, people knew each other. We were kind of cozy and it didn't take much for us to be bursting out at the seams. And some of you would remember you were part of it, like you walked from the old church to here. Um, some of you remember when Don Defoe had hair. You know, you have to go way back, way back <laughs> in time. Do you remember when you were dead in your sins? Pastor Donald, what kind of question is that? We're reminiscing of the good times, and you bring up something about being dead in my sins. Can you think of something better to talk about? Can I ask you that question again? Do you remember being dead in your sins? Maybe you're here this morning and you like, I don't even know what that means, dead in sin. It's a great question to ask. And we're gonna look at that this morning. Do you remember being dead in your sins? If you will, would you please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians the book of Colossians, one of the prison epistles. And I know you're nice and comfortable, but I'm gonna ask you to stand as we read the short passage of scripture in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter two. This is a very powerful passage of scripture that we're about to read. You see, with all kinds of bad teaching out there, what the gospel is, and of course, that's what's happening here in Colossae too. There's some bad teaching has come in about what the gospel is. And so that's why this is such a powerful passage of scripture that we're going to read. Colossians chapter two, we'll pick it up in verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Father, I do pray that in these next few moments, I pray, God, that you would 
Help us to, to see so vividly what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Lord, I, I pray that these scriptures would come alive. I, I pray that we would come alive knowing our lives have been radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that we once were dead in sin, but oh, we are alive in Christ now. Thank you, God. And I pray that we will sense your presence with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In some weird way, I, I, I kind of like the question that is being asked there. I mean, it's kind of serious stuff. Do you remember, he says, when you were dead in your sins? Do you remember what life was like without Christ? Is really what he's asking. Do you remember how you lived before you had an encounter with Jesus Christ? Do you remember what it was like when you were living without purpose? That's what he's asking. Uh, do you remember what it felt like when all you did was carry the burden of sin everywhere that you went to and it weighed you down? Uh, do, do you remember when your life was spiraling out of control and you didn't know which way to turn? That's the question he's asking. Uh, th there's something uh, about where you came from that can help propel you into your future. And, and what's very interesting here is Paul gets very personal in, in this particular passage when, he, when he's addressing the Christians, the, the, the local church in Colossae. See, he's not addressing some big crowd. Uh, he, he's talking singular here when he's referring to your sins. Not your sins, your sins. Singular is what he's doing here. See, he is not talking about the sins of lawyers. He's not talking about the sins of Pharisees or Sadducees. He's not talking about the sins of politicians. He's not talking about the sins of car mechanics. He's not talking about the sins of CEOs. He's not talking about the sins of pastors. He's not talking about the sins of missionary workers. It's very direct. Do you remember what it was like to be dead in your sin? Do you remember what it was like before you became a Christian. Before you became a follower of Jesus. Do you remember when prayer seemed really weird when you first learned about it? Do you remember when life had no direction? Do you remember when you, you begged God for a second chance? And do you remember when life was just floundering? Let me tell you, sin will cheat you out of everything that is good in life. It will stranglehold you. It will, it will lead you down the wrong corridor. It will take you by the neck and strangle you. It will take you down a dark alley. And, and churches don't like to talk about it. I don't like talking about it, honestly. But then there are some things in the issue that, in the Bible that you just have to address. You cannot ignore it. And, and I realize that when we talk about sin, we, I know I do, I do this. I'm not just, we sometimes sugarcoat it. Oops, I did an oops today. Oh, a boo-boo, right? Oh, I got off track. Oh, I, I tripped up. You know, I messed up. Sometimes we have a hard time just saying, I sinned. I actually sinned. And Paul is saying, you were dead 
He says sin will hold you back from future possibilities in life. He's not saying you're physically dead because, you know, we're breathing. Some of us, barely, but we're breathing. He's not saying that we are morally dead. He, you know, some of us, you know, can be dead in sin but still have a conscience. He's not saying we're emotionally dead. I mean, we have, you know, ups and downs. He's not saying that you're mentally dead. No, because we're still learning. So what is Paul trying to say? Well, Paul's trying to say that without Christ, we are spiritually dead. Without Christ, we have no spiritual potential. Without Christ, we are separated from God. Back in Genesis, I mean, it's, it, sometimes, you know, for us who grew up in the church, maybe we, you know, we just assume a lot and take a lot of stuff for granted. But this week I was kind of struck by the fact we have recorded for us the very first time sin entered in the world. Like, that's amazing to me. Like, the first time it entered in the world, it's recorded for us how sin came into the world. You see, Adam and Eve, right, were living in this paradise, something like Sandals Resorts. And they did exactly what God had asked them not to do. No one had to teach them how to do wrong. They were quite capable on their, on their own. And, and because of their sin, consequences followed. First consequences, of course, we know as we found in Genesis, you know, there would be pain in childbirth. Ladies, you have Eve to blame for that. Pain in childbirth. Uh, second thing, that no longer would there be perfect relational harmony. And then, of course, the other, that there would be separation from God. So not just human relationship problems. Because of the first sin, though, there actually was going to be a separation between a relationship between man and God. See, see, sin stands in the way of having a relationship with the holy God. It's death that separates us from, from God. And so as I say, the worst part is not that there was human relationship problems between Adam and Eve. No, the worst was that there would be separation from God, that we would be dead in our sins. The thing is, we don't have to be enslaved to our sins. We don't have to be controlled by our habits. We don't have to be swallowed up by our addictions. We don't have to be robbed of our potential. Many of us don't have to look back that far to remember what it was like to be dead in our sins. And how depressing it would be if the Apostle Paul just stopped there. If he said, hey, let's just remember how bad it was before. But I love what the Apostle Paul says next in this passage. He says, but we are alive in Christ. You hear what I said? We are alive in Christ. We are alive in Christ who is the son of the living God. He's killed off the old me. And he wants me to walk with a bounce on my step because we are alive in Christ. I mean, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sins. I can walk with a bounce because I'm alive, alive in Christ. And, and, and what I love here, it, it says to us, he didn't just die for some of our sins. That would have been great if he died that. It doesn't even say he died for most of our sins. 
Boy, that three-letter word means so much when it says he died for all of our sins. That means our past sins. That means my present sin. And it also means the sins that I will commit in the future. He died for it all. And because of that, we can be alive in Christ Jesus. So what can separate me from the love of Christ? Can sin? No, because we've been made alive because he has died for all of our sins. I'm alive in him. I'm no longer dead. And he did it all on the cross. And the debt has been paid in full. Christ canceled the debt. Now I know I know there are people here today that have a certain mindset. And that mindset is, I just kind of hope that my good will offset my bad. Right? I mean, some of us are just hoping we've done enough good or more good than what we've done in our bad things we've done. We're just kind of hoping that God's going to look at the scale and put all the good things and somehow the, 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 the scale is going to change and that we're going to be okay. I mean, some of us are here thinking, hoping that we've done just enough kind words, just enough pure thoughts, enough good deeds that will weigh it in your favor. Is it possible is it possible to do more good than all the violations that we've ever done? I made a small list here. Very small. Just for a moment, I'm going to list a few little sins. How much would we have to do to overcome this? Here's what I wrote down. Lust, deceit, pride, Anger, rage, dirty deeds, malice, filthy words, greed, sexual impurities, abuse, slander, idolatry. I mean, that's just a small, how much would we have to do to overcome all of that? The Bible actually says our good works, not our bad works, our good works are like filthy rags. <laughs> Imagine that, because we're, we're, we're trying to put a lot of trust in, in our good works that they'll over, you know, kind of counterbalance, but the Bible says, no, actually your good works are like filthy rags when it comes to earning the righteousness of Christ. Sin doesn't measure out a list of bad things that we do. It actually is the lack of the good things that we don't do. And so Jesus took all of our, our insecurities, all of our addictions, all of our hang-ups, and he's made you alive in Christ. No longer dead in sin. What a glorious thought to think that we have been set free and that we are alive, set free from our past. My sin, not in part, but in whole, nailed to the cross. Not part of my sin, all of my sin. Nailed to the cross. And it's the cross that tore down that barrier that separated us from God. On the cross, Jesus paid it all. Really, in many ways, the cross is a sign of victory because we've been made alive because of the cross. We're not the same as we once were. 
Satan's greatest attempt was his worst nightmare. Because he took my sins and he canceled my debt and he nailed it to the cross and then it says, and he made a spectacle of it. Of all the powers and authorities of spiritual darkness, he made a spectacle of them when he rose from the dead. Jesus paid the consequences of sin and gave you the power to overcome, free from the control of sin. And I think here Paul is saying, some of you though want to go back in bed with some of your old ways of life. See, some of you are still winking at some of the old ways. Paul said, why would you want to go back to that? Do you remember what it was like to be dead in your sins? But Christ has come to make you alive. Why go back that way? Do you not remember what it was like before Christ? This morning, if you're here, and maybe you've been coming to Temple Baptist Church all of your life, or you've been in church all of your life, but if you were completely honest, you don't know really what it means to be alive in Christ. Do you know what's so amazing? That this morning, I'm twinkling of an eye, your life can change. Your whole destiny, the weight of sin, lifted off your shoulders that you bear, uh, the, the, the feeling that I have to earn what God has offered to me freely, that can all change today. You know, if you were to pray a prayer like this, I mean, it doesn't have to be like this, but something that would just say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you died on the cross for me. My sins. Not just generally speaking the world's sins, but actually my sins. I, I, think I, I think I get it. It's the cross that has accomplished it this morning. If you would just say, Jesus, I thank you for the cross. I, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and cancel my sin of debt. God, would you make me new? Because I believe, I really believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I invite you into my life. Just, just take control. We believe, the Bible says, if you were to pray such a prayer, you're made alive in Christ. You are no longer dead in your sins, but made alive in Christ. And so for my fellow believers, those who have accepted Christ as your personal Savior. Those who say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to challenge you. Don't, don't wink at the always. Because Christ has made you alive. He's made you new. He's made you to be different than you once were when you were dead in your sins. He's made us alive. Let's pray.